everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020. I'm Emily. And I'm Amelia. And this is a podcast for any feminist who feels overwhelmed and exhausted by everything they have to do, and still worries that they are not doing enough. Sound like anybody you know? Yeah. So, so what are we talking about today? Too much connection. This is not something we usually have to spend time talking about. Too no. much connection. Usually the not... problem is barriers to connection. Right. But there's a pandemic and we're all, I mean, we're supposed to say safe at home, but we're also stuck at home. Right. With the people we love most in the world. Right. Like under the best circumstances, we're with people we have chosen deliberately to spend our home time with. Right, but you know what causes is, burnout is getting stuck, and we're stuck. Even if it's stuck in an ostensibly good, safe place, we're still stuck. stuck. And so one of the reasons why connection is a thing we talk about a lot is connection is a biological drive, like hunger. Yeah. Uh, what happens if you don't eat for a really, really long time? Yeah, you starve, you die. You can literally die of that connection is one of those it's a drive if you don't get adequate connection you, you can literally die but the nature of hunger see it's like a thermostat this is the sort of classic analogy like the temperature gets lower and lower and lower and eventually it gets so low that it ticks over in the thermostat and the heat kicks on and then the heat comes up and up and up and up and then eventually the heat gets high enough and dunk, the thermometer turns off mm-hmm and we are designed to oscillate between like a little too empty and a just full enough and a little too empty and just full enough. That's how drive mechanisms function, including the connection drive functioning. We're built to oscillate from autonomy back to connection, back to autonomy, back to connection. Yeah, need fulfillment, need fulfillment. And we talk a lot about what happens when people feel socially isolated and like they can't get the connection their body requires. And we have not yet ever in any episode talked about, but what if I'm getting too much connection? It's not usually a thing. Because if you're getting too much food, like if you are, so one example is the clean your plate club that a lot of people have in their family. Like you you have to eat everything you put on your plate. Mm -hmm. Even if you are stuffed, you have to just like put all the food in your mouth and you get that feeling of being over full and you're like so tired and you just have to lie down afterward. It's incredibly uncomfortable. And people don't do this for biological reasons. They do it for other reasons, behavioral or financial or I don't know. Because there's all kinds of reasons why this might happen. But it's not because your body needs you to clean your plate. Yeah. And your body protests. Yes. You experience discomfort. Discomfort. And occasionally that discomfort might even be soothing because it gives you a chance to feel a discomfort that is not like the (laughs) emotional distress that you were in it gives you something else to think about for a while so i mean like we could do a whole and we probably should do a whole thing about like food and people's relationship with the feeling of uh hunger and fullness yeah but right now, let's just think about the sort of an analogy in terms of connection. Mm-hmm. We are in a place where being a little bit slightly forced-fed connection, mm-hmm. when really what we need is to let ourselves get a well, little hungry. Yeah, we need to oscillate. And we don't have the freedom to oscillate through this particular cycle when we are safe at home. Right. So how do we get access to adequate distance 
given that we are at home with the people we care about. I want to talk about how to do this with partners. Uh, and then I want to talk about how to do it around kids. Because yeah. I think that's much harder. Yeah. With partners, have you been successful in negotiating adequate autonomous time in your household? Uh, this is a long-standing um, debate and compromise. And like, what's the word? You're quite an intense introvert. Yeah. So for... Married to an extrovert. So we have always had to negotiate day by day, week by week, month by month, just how much space I need. And it's come to the point where I can just be like, I need to be alone now. And Malin will go away. That's great. He's almost not offended by it anymore. Almost not offended by it anymore. Yeah. He just recognizes that you're different in that way. Yes. The two of you. We've been talking about this for 15 years. <laughs> and he's really kind of almost internalized that I'm just a person who needs more space. And I, in turn, have learned to, you know, be accommodating the other direction to make sure that I don't self-isolate completely and leave him alone. Yeah, because you uh, have such a low need for connection. Yeah. And people do vary. Yeah. In I'm like... The if we're going to relate this to food, I'm one of those people who forgets to eat all the time. I forget to connect all the time. I just forget. I don't feel it. I forget to pay attention to the fact that I'm hungry for connection until I'm starving when... and it's too late and I'm all cranky. <laughs> so if hangry is the emotional experience <laughs> of being grumpy because you're hungry, yeah. what, what is the hangry of connection? Uh, for me, it's, it's depression symptoms. Well, that's not funny or entertaining. Like, no. I was looking for a fun word. Sorry, no. That combines two emotional experiences. No. Hungry and angry. Hangry. No, I mean, it's it's hopelessness and despair from isolation. Lonely and sad. Right, it's not funny. Well, yeah, that's not, there's nothing, there's no entertaining. But probably, but probably most, like, most people who don't have the combination of intense what's the word intense introversion and clinical depression <laughs> notice their need for connection before they starve i just happen to be an individual who is working on improving my perception of my own need for connection yeah so you're not a particularly representative example I am of not how this works remotely representative at all no i'm sorry and my difficulty is that i did not know people needed me to tell them that they can or should go away. I first realized this when I first moved to Massachusetts. I had a studio apartment. Mm -hmm. There were no walls except for the bathroom. Um, and when I would have guests come to stay over, like to visit, people from other states would come and visit me, like friends from grad school come and visit me in my tiny, tiny apartment. And one came to visit and I was finally like, uh, can you just like go to the coffee shop for a few hours so I can be alone here in my apartment. <laughs> and he was like, oh, yes, obviously, of course. And he was like glad that I said something and he was happy to go. He's an extrovert and like was longing for like more company and people and energy. And he can go get that at the coffee shop. <laughs> right. He can go get that need met and not be in my apartment and I could just be alone for a while. Mm -hmm. So what I learned on that day was like people don't spontaneously know that it's okay to create lots of distance. Yeah. You have to both ask for it and grant them permission. Yeah. Now it is only possible for me because I live in a 2,000 square foot house with only <laughs> two people. Right. 
there have been days when I just don't see Malin at all until the evening. Like, I go down to watch Jeopardy, and that's the first time I see him all day. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you are not experiencing an over-full feeling of connection because you're doing a really good job of creating space because you have the physical space. I have an intensely luxurious, abundant amount of space to be alone. And I have a partner who is highly tolerant of my need to be alone because he also knows that I'm much more pleasant a person to be around when I get adequate isolation. That's lovely. It works out. But suppose I lived in that studio apartment or the one bedroom apartment that I lived in after that now and uh, the person I was sharing that space with couldn't just go to the coffee shop because the coffee shop has been closed for two months. Yeah. I would have to be kicking that person out to go like take a walk Mm -hmm. in nature. Or you would have to go out to take a walk. No, that's the thing is that for me, like going out to take a walk is not what I need is to be at home alone. Hmm. Yeah. I got to admit that the first maybe six weeks of, of the stay at home order, I started to feel like this is too much. I wanted to be home alone for like a minute because I was the one who's going out grocery shopping. Malin never left. He had church his work was at home. I left sometimes and he never left. And then one day he left to go do work at our uh, house on the Cape. And it was like vacation. So yeah, even if, even if I have room to be physically alone, having the whole place to myself does feel a little different. And is yeah. a thing that I enjoy and want to have sometimes. And was itching for when I didn't get it at all for several weeks in a row. Yeah, home alone, I think, is a, is a thing people want and like. Yeah. And not everybody has, and this is, so thing number one to know is that this is an individual differences thing. It's a temperamental characteristic that they can test for in psychological assessments. What it, not just your introversion, extroversion, what level of like human contact do you need in order to have enough energy or uh, how much alone time do you need in order to have enough energy, but also your sense of belongingness, like how much of a craving do you have to feel like you are a part of a community? And it's like, it's a one question assessment. I have a, I have a strong need to belong. How much do you agree or disagree with that question? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like scale of zero to 10, one and a half. Yeah, I was going to say two. And that yeah. seems right relative to each other. Yeah, you have a little bit more than I do. A little bit more. I would have scored you as higher than that, maybe three. Maybe three. Maybe three. Yeah, maybe And I probably feel it less now in particular because of the whole being home together for three months. So thing number one, people do just vary in their level of need for connection. Thing number two, it is normal to feel like no matter how good the quality of the connection you have with other people, it is normal to feel full on connection and to need time and space to digest and process and let yourself get a little bit hungry mm-hmm, for mm-hmm, connection. Mm-hmm. And some people are going to be able to do that when they go out into the world. They feel sufficiently separate from other people when they go out into the world, like grocery shopping doesn't feel like connection because you're not talking to anyone you're not engaged actively i when i go out to like when i went to the target there were people physically around me and i had to communicate with the employee 
And that was connection for me. That yeah. was a sense of like, I had a human interaction here. Yeah. And for some people that would, that would feel like nothing at all. So what this looks like in practical terms is going to vary hugely from person to person, but it is normal to have a longing for aloneness, for a total autonomy. Yeah. So if people can think through what total autonomy looks like for them, um, when you were driving to the Cape, for example, did that feel like, I'm alone? Yes. Yeah, I find driving also, like if I have to go, I drive to Boston as a couple of hours, that's alone time for me. Yeah. It's very renewing and recharging. It's great when I have gigs that are like a two to five hour drive away because mm -hmm. that's a short enough drive where I'm like, I feel physically great at the end of it. I had a bunch of time by myself to just like think about stuff interrupted. Really, really wonderful. For some people, that kind of drive would just make them bananas or yeah. physically is not possible. There's all yeah. kinds of... So being physically in your home by yourself, going out into the world where like no one is someone you know, they're all just strangers and they're physically distant, being in a car driving somewhere, uh, those are all possibilities for ways to get alone time. And the key is simply to have the conversation with your partner like, hey, it turns out uh, desire for connection is a drive, like hunger, which means you can get full. And some people's appetites are just different from other people. Some people's biological need for fulfillment is uh, different from yeah. each other's. Like when I eat pizza, I want like three pieces of the pizza that we get from Riffs. Rich wants four. Mm -hmm. I wait and have the fourth a couple of hours later. Mm -hmm. It's just a difference in what it takes to get us full. Mm -hmm. So let us embrace the individual differences. It's a thing that comes up a lot in burnout and in our work generally. Individual differences. Yeah. People just vary. Yeah. Can you have a kind and loving conversation where just because I don't want to be around people including you doesn't mean i don't care about you it doesn't mean i don't enjoy your company it means that my body simply requires this degree of like digestion time of space of rest yeah of independence autonomy separateness so that i can be fully who i am when we come together in connection yeah so this we've got one one solution so far which is to let whoever else is in your house know just speak to them rationally and give them the information that people's appetites are different. This is mine. I require time to go away and digest and get hungry again so that I want to come be in your company again. Yes. And we're speaking from the point of view of the person who needs the distance. Yes. But there is, on the other hand, the point of view of the person who is being asked for distance. Mm-hmm. So if you're or, or with someone who requires more space or distance or alone time than you do, you might notice that they get a little like cranky when they've been around too long and you can like have the conversation. You can bring it up. Hey, I listened to this podcast and uh, their frame was thinking, okay, so connection is a drive. It's a biological need without which people literally die. But at the same time, people get full. And it seems like I think maybe you're a person who needs more uh, alone time, more digestion time, more space, more time in autonomy than I do. And do you feel like you're getting all the separateness that you need? Or is there something we can do to help you get the separateness you need in order to feel not overwhelmed? And I, I just want to apologize to everyone listening that once again, the solution here 
is talking about your feelings. Oh, God. I wish it was like anything else, but <laughs> unfortunately, talk about your feelings is, yeah. is the way to go. It's how you solve this. Yeah. And as always, when it's communication in a relationship, there's two different processes. There's dealing with the problem itself. And I like to think about it as like there's person A and there's person B and then there's the problem. Mm-hmm. And you are a team working together <laughs> To fix the problem, which is this like lump of mess between the two of you. Mm-hmm. You're not the problem. I'm not the problem. This problem is a third thing and we're working together to fix the problem. That's the effective way to address this. It's not to say that the other person who is taking up too much space in your brain and you need more connection, that other person is not the problem. The yeah. problem is like your body's got a need and you need your partner's cooperation to help meet that need. That's all. Yeah. They're not the problem. So you are not the problem. Neither one of you is broken or sick or needy or uh, neurotic. You're just different. You're just different. And you're solving the problem of balancing the scale of differences. And there's a very strong risk. If you're the partner who has less of a need for isolation than your partner does, that if you bring this up, that your partner, especially if they are a human giver, they're like some part of them has learned that they are supposed to want and be comfortable in connection and support and caring all the time that if any part of them just needs to be alone for a while, there's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. So it can feel a little confronting to be like, I wonder if you're feeling a need for more alone time than you're currently getting. It's all too easy for that to sound to the person like you're falling short, you're failing, you're not being fully generous and supportive of everyone all the time. You might require, you selfish bitch, some alone time. Mm. And I noticed that you had a need and how dare you. Yeah. So a person goes into like a self-judgmental or defensive, like, no, I'm fine. I can always be giving all the time. Yeah. I think that at this point of the self-isolation pandemic lockdown, no one thinks they're fine. Are you sure? I, I'm pretty, I, everybody I know is at the point where they're like, I recognize now the things that are hard. I am feeling it. Okay. Well, that's good. If that's true. I don't know. I have not very much connection with the outside world. Yeah. So if you're feeling it, here might be why. If you're not feeling it, either maybe you are you know, at the right level of connection for you, or maybe you have repressed it or denied it because you feel like you have a moral obligation. But uh, yeah, maybe turn turn really toward any uncomfortable obligation. feelings and see if this might be the cause. Yeah, this might be a thing that's happening for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about if you're an adult caretaker of some children in your yeah. home. Yeah. Because the thing about kids is... They need connection. Oh my God, Lucy. So I remember... Well, mostly I remember is mom reporting that it happened, but I feel like I have a vague memory of actually doing it, of mom being in the bathroom with the door closed and us putting our fingers under the door. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, kids have no fucking respect. Yeah. <laughs> we were very young at the time, let oh, me yeah. just say. Three. We were maybe three, yeah. exactly. Which is, yeah, that's a developmentally appropriate time for us to be, like, seeking connection with an adult caregiver. Absolutely. Um, even just out of curiosity and play, even. Yeah. Oh, three children, right? Yeah. But um, some, some mothers are home with three-year-olds right now. Yeah. And they might even be home alone with a three-year-old. And they haven't showered alone in three months. Yeah. 
And that's so if you are if you are in a situation like that and you are just feeling like you can't like you barely can function. Yes. Yes. And the reason why is you're being force fed connection every day, every second of your life. And like yeah. you cannot stop with yeah. the eating. Yeah. Um, and I that it, if it feels uncomfortable, it's because it's uncomfortable. That whole it takes a village thing is real. Yeah, like, it, we are it not intended not... to stay in connection all the time. Children require company all the time. You cannot just like leave a toddler alone in the house and go for a walk. Nope. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. The only break you get was is when they're asleep. And then you probably have to do other work. Take advantage right. of that time to do things you cannot do when they're awake. Mm -hmm. And how dare you take that time just to be in isolation and enjoy it. Yeah. And that whole thing we were talking about, like, maybe you need the house to yourself or maybe you need to, like, go out in public around strangers. Neither of those things is available to you if you yep. have children yeah. and no other adult who can watch over the children for you. Obviously, if you have a co-parent or maybe, like, you have a grandparent who's accessible to the children, though having grandparents and kids in the same place that they haven't all been tested for coronavirus is yeah. complicated by itself. Yeah. But if there is a co-parent, like, you can, like, trade off alone time. Yes. I'm going to say freedom from the children. Yeah. But, like, you need to, like, spend time in adult headspace. Yeah. And that does not mean that you're selfish or that you don't love your children. It just means that you're a human being who needs to oscillate from autonomy to connection. This is truly how people are built. Yeah. In... In the book, in Burnout, we spend a bunch of time normalizing the need for connection yeah. because mostly that's what's been stigmatized in right. our culture yeah. is uh, people not feeling like they're allowed to need or rely on or lean on the people in their life. To that turn it makes toward, them weak yeah, if, you if they feel need someone. Lonely or sad, that is absolutely the time when it's appropriate, normal, and healthy to long for connection and to access connection. Yeah. Being with people and needing that connection, that's a biological reality. It's like being hungry for food. It's literally the same thing. Yep. It's like being exhausted and needing to sleep. That's just a biological reality. There's no shame in needing connection, but there's also no shame in needing isolation. Right. That's, that is also built into the system. It's like saying there's shame in like being full or there's yeah. shame in waking up or there's shame in like taking off a sweater if you get too warm. Right. All of those things are biological drives intended to help you regulate your level of energy and balance and health and overall well-being. It is good for you mm -hmm. to have some space alone. Exactly what that looks like and how much time it is is going to vary from person to person. Have we presented a solution for parents? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, the idea is co-parents. Yeah. Other adult caregivers to take on some of the labor help. to create yeah. some time. Yeah. Sometimes the answer can only be help. There was someone on Twitter who I'm I'm trying not to look at Twitter because I get wrapped up in stuff, you know. Yep. But someone tweeted the thing we say, which is that the cure for burnout is not self-care, it's all of us caring for each other. Mm -hmm. And someone replied, probably very kindly, with respect, it's not either or, it's both and. To which I did not reply, <sighs> sure. And But that's like saying all lives matter. Like yeah, the point no, is not... <laughs> no, no, no. For me, the thing is self-care necessary and can only happen in the context of community care. It can only happen right. when the people around you agree that your well-being 
matters and is worth protecting. And they step in to help you create the opportunities you require to care for yourself. All of the community care first, which makes self-care possible. All the self-care in the world can't cure burnout unless it exists in the context of all of us caring for each other. That's what that means. Right. So, Which um, is sort of infuriating that someone would just be like, well, actually, (laughs) you have to have self-care too. Well, yes, no shit, but it's not the cure for burnout and isolation. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, exactly. People do not read with the sort of like generosity of imagination that i would ask context to read with. Yeah, yeah, surprise okay but yeah. when you like quote a sentence from a whole book yeah like you have hey, to assume that's how people are going to respond to it i want to present another possible frame that might help parents who don't have a co-parent mm-hmm. who are feeling flooded by excessive connection mm-hmm. and i want to talk about a, a tv ad for a facebook parent support group which is a strange thing for there to be a tv ad for but there it is. It's a Facebook parent support group that has a TV ad that shows a woman who is 100 years old. She was born during the 1918 pandemic. And here she is, 100 years old. Her mother lived in isolation with her as an infant. And here she is, 100 years old, telling new mothers, look, I'm alive today because my mother did it. You can do it too. Oh, Isn't that nice? That feels very sweet. It's, um... It's uh, interspersed with the video of women giving birth, <laughs> like, like real, like not actors, like women, yeah. dirty, screaming, giving birth, and then holding their children with their fists raised in the air, like victory and power. And then slightly older children smiling and laughing, sort of just to make you feel that connection to something larger and it's worth it because this effort is for something so valuable and important. Uh, I just listened to an episode of Social Distance's podcast from The Atlantic, mm-hmm. and they uh, had an interview with a fellow Atlantic journalist who was a scriptwriter for the Carter administration. And he's like, crisis 101 when you're writing. Step one, empathy, compassion. I know this is hard. I feel the pain of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Step number two, large-scale hope we've been through worse and we're going to get through this right i I believe in america i believe in your family i believe in whatever yeah step number three and here is our plan here's what we're going to do now yeah right so this commercial is like i feel the pain of this yeah and i have hope look here i am i'm 100 years old and my mother did this if she can do it so can you yeah i was like this facebook ad just fucking nailed it yeah, and then the ad is like, come join this family support group on right. Facebook. Like, so there's your plan. then you know you're not alone. Right. That's why intense, how intensely motivating that ad is, because it follows crisis <laughs> communication 101. That's very compelling yeah. advertising. I thought, it, I saw it, and I was like, oh, nailed it, Facebook. I mean, Facebook does not do many things well. And they so... Fuck up Facebook, a lot, but this like, was good. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're complicit in war crimes but they, they are cool they, they fuck up a lot <laughs> but like, this one commercial was really good this one commercial look i'm just trying to <laughs> and the thing that we do the thing that burnout does the thing that our podcast does is not just to say i believe in you and you have hope is to be like evidence-based strategies for getting through the like our plan is we know you can get through because we read the science. But also one of the things the science says that if you feel like you're connected to something larger and that you have a purpose and that what you're doing is worth it, that this amount of effort is to be expected 
those are evidence-based strategies for yes. getting through. And I, for, especially in the really difficult case of a solo parent yes. in, in the pandemic who cannot ever get space from the child who is the thing they love most in the world and also they just being need a couple hours. A source of stress. Yes. Yeah. I think another important message we bring is like, that is a normal emotion you are experiencing. Here is the biology of that emotion. Mm -hmm. Connection is a drive, which means you can get full and you are like way over full and that's uncomfortable. And the more you can just be like, oh, that's what that discomfort is. Mm -hmm. The more you can allow that to be true. And the dual process, both of allowing yourself to notice that you have this uncomfortable feeling and not judging yourself and not blaming yourself and not fighting it, but just acknowledging that it's true. Just being like, hello, discomfort. Mm -hmm. Hello, I see you. I hear you. I know. Yeah, it is really difficult. We're going to get through it. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult. And we're going to get through it. And in parallel to that, the dual process is that plus uh, taking steps to get help, which is physical assistance. We did a whole episode on different kinds of social support. In this case, a lot of what you need is true instrumental support. You need someone to, to watch your kids watch for your a couple child hours while you take a bath and clip your own fingernails and like color your hair and do whatever it is you need to do. Go see him. You can't go see a movie. <laughs> Lock yourself in your room and like watch a movie. Or cry. <laughs> cry. <laughs> Mindfully cry. <laughs> yes. Allowing your body to like release. It's like, you know, you got to poop. It's the end of the digestive system. Sometimes <laughs> emotionally you just got to like let go of the stuff and be like, oh. Get it out. <sighs> and then you know what? You'll feel refreshed. You will. You will feel refreshed. You can't do it just the one time though. In an ideal world, what you'll be able to do is build in a structure where you can know for sure when the next time is coming that you'll be able to get this need met for your own body. You Something just to occurred feel... to me that's part of the um, metaphor of, or maybe literal definition of the need for connection as a drive and let just like hunger. So if you overstuff yourself of hunger, you get full. And then when you have a child and you have to remain totally emotionally calm and present for that child and you can never just like bust out crying with that kid or it's gonna it's gonna be you know unfortunate for the kid so as a parent the thing you try to do is just be like calm and ready to go and that's like that's like being constipated so you're constantly eating overfilling <laughs> overstuffing yourself and then like holding it in too yes yeah so that's gonna, gonna cause forget. a blockage so um Andrew Solomon wrote a book called The Noonday Demon, An Anatomy of Depression, which is a, it's about depression. But he spent time with the Inuit in Greenland. 80% of the population suffers from depression. And when he was staying with them, one of the people said to him, we all sat around together for months watching the walls melt. Uh, which like that's like you are all sitting around together and one of the causes of depression in this community is the fact that it is too cold and dark to go outside at all for months mm -hmm. and the emotional regulation required the emotional repression required is so intense that people feel trapped in their own emotions they can't just scream and yell there's not enough space there's not enough emotional distance to be able to process it and i'm like in favor of people having the occasional screaming fight it cleans out the pipes 
as my first uh, counseling psychology supervisor put it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need to have like a fight where you like rinse everything out, you move through all the stuff and you can like begin with a more fresh kind of palette. Yeah. And when you're with kids, it's very rare that you get the opportunity with a child no. to be able to just like have all of the feelings. Mm-hmm. There's a great book called Raising Your Spirited Child, which is specifically for people who are raising kids that are more, that are more intense, that are more persistent and more either rigid in their sleep schedules or way too flexible in their sleep schedules. But I think it offers skills that are valuable for parents of children, even with uh, cooler temperaments, specifically like when your child has a high intensity of emotion, like one of the ways you help them to cope with that is by teaching them to like process the emotion, to move through it and release it uh, without using any words that can hurt people. Mm-hmm. So like just like pounding on your chest and going, Rawr! not trusting either your hands or your words when you're in that place, but having a way to like release that emotion and not have to just take it out on someone grumpy, just like hold on to it and let it get toxic in your body and mm-hmm. also not take it out on someone else. You can just like purge the feeling mm-hmm. without there being any emotional injury that goes to anyone else uh and not holding on not like trapping it in your body which is one of the sources of being uh trapped (laughs) does that make sense is that useful i think so thinking about like the way we process emotion like you can it might uh, not be as useful for single parents as if we it might be more useful if we just like went to their house and watched their kids for a couple of hours. Sure, absolutely. But this is what we have to offer. So, and I think there is like so, given that solo parents who are like with their kids all the time right now might not be able to get adequate help. Maybe it is a little piece of help to build a structure for being able to have all your emotions to be able to like just like cry even when your kid is present. Yeah. By helping them like normalize that like feelings are feelings and they're not scary or dangerous. It's just right. a feeling that's happening in your body. Yeah. And sometimes your body has to do a thing. Yeah. It's informational support and emotional support, even if it's not instrumental support, which is right. a thing that would be great right now. Yeah. And this is not about like using your child as an emotional support mechanism for you. No. Like your child is not helping you in your moment of need you are still helping your child to understand your feelings but there is a way to like feel your feelings while your child is present in a sort of like responsible it's like a a mute on a horn instrument on a brass yeah like like the wah-wah on a trumpet yeah like you can still express something is that a good (laughs) wah-wah it's pretty good yeah you can still express something while simultaneously expressing to your child, let me explain to you what's happening so you're not afraid. Yeah. This is just a thing that happens and it's totally normal. It's like it's sort of like teaching your kid about your period. Yeah. And because it's going to happen to them too. And you can be like, yep, you're allowed to be sad right now. Even if you don't know why, that's fine. Yeah. I'm now very attached to the metaphor of it's like your period. Like you can't always hide these things. Sometimes they yeah. need to know about it. It's normal. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Even if, uh, with the period metaphor, even if, like, you, when your parent talked to you about these sorts of things, you were like, oh, stop talking about it. Like, now that you're an adult, you appreciate that, like, that kind of frank conversation could potentially happen, right? Totally. And so, your child also will be like, I don't know if right now is this is okay. Oh, God, no, stop. 
but like what's actually happening is very healthy and that is just like children children are children and that's fine we'll appreciate it when they're older yeah so our evidence-based strategies one know that it is normal to feel a sense of overwhelm from too much connection because connection is a drive which means just the way you can get full from food you can get full on connection step two um, when you're communicating with your partner about this, know that you can just be different from each other because not only is this a natural biological drive, but also people vary from person to person in what their level of need for connection is and what level of fullness is too full. Three, as you're having that conversation, turn toward each other's difficult feelings with kindness and compassion. Know that it's a problem that the two of you as a team are working together to solve. One person is not the problem. It is The problem is a third thing that exists and you're collaborating to fix it. Four, sometimes the thing you need ultimately is help and that's normal and healthy and you don't need to be the shadow of yourself for needing instrumental support in this time of need. If you don't know what we mean by instrumental support, check out the social support episode. Were there other evidence-based strategies? Uh, even when you can't get help, know that you are doing something so important that even this level of suffering is worth it. You're part of something larger. You're making something great happen. You can do it. Yeah. And that's this episode of the Feminist Survival Project. If any of it was written, it wasn't. Uh, it was written by us. I'm Emily Nagoski. <laughs> we planned it roughly in some texts back and forth. We did. We planned it. That was writing. Yeah. I'm Emily. I'm Amelia. And this is edited by My Marital Euphemism. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. self-isolation till there's a vaccine we're always together yes we're always reading news and zooming with friends losing track of what our weekends try to get out a bit walk to a park and then you follow and you ask me hey can i come too and i can only say can i be alone now, alone now. i haven't been alone for at least nine weeks can I be alone now? If I can't be alone, I am gonna freak. Look at the way I gotta hide all my feelings and watch what I say to keep the peace. And so I listen to you growl at the news. Tell you it'll all be over soon Then lock the bathroom door Cry in the tub And then you knock and say Hey honey, did you know this door is locked? And so I say Can I be alone now? I love you more than anyone But I confess Can I be alone now? If I can't be alone You'll see what I repressed Can I be alone now? I haven't been alone for at least nine weeks. Can I be alone now? If I can't be alone, I am gonna freak. The Feminist Survival Project 2020 is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.